Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish. I'm Clay Grove, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. Welcome to episode 301, which is a bonkers number to be at. And uh, I'm excited. Tonight's show is kind of a big show because we've got a very important writer coming on tonight. His name is Mark Yusick. His newest book is called Not Owl Trout Are Geniuses. Uh, so we're going to talk to genius Mark Yusick right now. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. <laughs> it's good to see you. Yes, let's let's not get too carried away. I know. I, well, it's funny because I only I know you through Facebook, and I and I yep. think I didn't realize when I first met you uh, that I didn't realize you were a writer. I just kind of was following your fishing. I like to watch. I like looking at fishing pictures, and so, and then uh, I saw that you had this book come out. Not all Trader geniuses, and I said, "Mark, you're gonna come on the show." And that was like two months ago, three months ago. Now, you sent me the book. I spent a lot of time like taking photos of your book in bars and taking it out on dates and stuff. And then finally, <laughs> finally, we get you on the show. I actually had COVID. My kids are involved in sports. I don't know how parents of teenage kids do anything except drive kids places. Well, um, I set the time for this tonight because I was working around a varsity baseball and a modified baseball game and then we got some weather and that rearranged things and canceled stuff but yeah i totally get it that's that's life do you ever find yourself hoping your kids don't get in the finals so that you can have a day off <laughs> am i you know what am i bad if i say yes <laughs> yes all the way through little league it was like oh it's the season's over and then somebody goes all right now we're gonna pick all-stars you go no, no. <laughs> I know, and it's funny because I live in the White Mountains, New Hampshire, and so every sporting event is a two-hour drive. Yes. You oh, know. oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in the Adirondacks, right? I am 30 minutes from the Adirondacks. Our games are all really close, pretty much. You okay. Know? Maybe good. we got a maybe we got a half-hour drive. Oh, that's nothing. Nice. Right, so you're populated area. All right, Mark. So you're you're a big fly fisher. Uh, you claim to be an expert uh, at fly fishing. From reading your book, ah. I can tell. <laughs> Before I get into your book, let's get into your background. So you, you've been fishing most of your life. You learned to fish as a kid. You're taught by your grandparents, your grandfather, and then your, your parents were involved with all that. Um, but tell me how you got into fly fishing, because I'm, I'm still not into fly fishing. I want to be, but I'm looking for that motivation. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a pretty typical story. Like everybody, you know, family got me into fishing, but there was, man, I think it was around 2011. I actually started having an interest in it. Um, and I'm pretty sure it was what really made me understand how it worked was standing in a Creek, trying to catch some trout that were obviously taking bugs and I couldn't get them to take my map spinner to save my life or anybody's life that day. And I knew, Hey, I think I understand what fly fishing is all about. Cause if you had a little, little bug, little fly on your hook, you probably maybe could have, I told myself I could have caught him, or at least had a better chance. And a couple months later I got a fly rod and that's it. Yeah. That's, that's the really short. Sure. We'll take that. I think we all, we, we've <laughs> all been in that boat because the grass is always greener. You know, if I only had that fly rod, I only had that fly. 
I only had that Panther Martin, or I only had whatever it is, because what you're using never works when it's supposed to. You know, and, that's right. Yeah. So, so the, you you picked up fly fishing. Never works, and the water is always better on the other side of the river. Yeah, there's, there's better structure over there. There's more habitat. Yes. The fishing was great yesterday. It's going to be wonderful tomorrow. Today it sucks. Uh, that's just how it all goes. Got it. Yeah, I got it. I get it. Um, so, so 2000, that's, you're late to the game. I mean, you're not a young guy. Very late to the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm 46 now. So, yeah, I was in my 30s. Um, and to me, up to that point, fly fishing was, I guess, kind of like an old man thing. I didn't really understand what it was, how it worked, why you're whipping the fly back and forth the way you are. I, I thought that these old guys were trying to make it, it look like there was a bug flying around to fool the fish. Right. Um, they are. Just not the case <laughs> at all. <laughs> but now you're the old guy. Yeah. The old guy with the fly rod. Uh, I feel that way some days. Yeah. So I, I, I've been fly fishing probably since about the same time period as you, but not. I haven't given up my spinning gear because I, I'm an I'm a old holdout for what works for me. But there are some Understood. days. There are some days where fly fishing works better, and I've actually, I'm a I'm a I'm a guide. In the summer, I guide on a pontoon boat, and I use uh, when I'm fishing with kids. I've switched from fishing with worms and bobbers to tenkara fishing. And when you're perch mm -hmm. fishing and fishing for bluegills, you're going to catch probably ten or twelve times more fish and kill nothing. Whereas with your bobber fish, sure. you end up killing everything because they swallow the hook, and you just—it's a terrible mess. So, yeah, yeah. so we, we, we switched to 10 car. I went in the rods, take no space on the boat, which I also really enjoy. <laughs> so, plenty of space, no reels, no tangles. All right, so you're a fly fisher. You've written this is your third or fourth book. This is my third book. Your th congratulations, by the way, because I, you know, back in 2011, I wrote a book and we had a big time New York City agent pitching the book for us, and nothing ever happened from it, it never got published. So, the fact that you got your books out is is a remarkable achievement. So congratulations! Thanks. Yeah, and the book is not all trout or are geniuses, which actually is my favorite chapter out of the book. I've read the whole book, and there's two chapters I want to talk about. I want to talk about uh, not all trout or geniuses, and I want to talk about your ice fishing chapter. Okay. Today, cool. if you want to. Um, and by the way, is it yeah. is, who's your publisher on this? Oh. Uh, I, the reason I'm on my third book is because I have never tried to go with a publisher yet. You just this did all, it. All three books are self-published. Well, is that why you make enough money to quit your job? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, a, that's quite an expense, self-publishing your book. Actually, it's not. Um, if you go on Amazon and get yourself set up with KDP Publishing, it costs you almost nothing. Really? Um, if you're going to pay to you know do your cover for you and an editor to go through the book uh you're gonna pay them and whatever the code is for the book is uh, maybe 80 bucks other than that um yeah you just if it fits in the if it fits in their program and in their templates and it doesn't come back hey this won't work huh. you publish it and that's that and then it prints on demand somebody orders it it prints in a sense to them and you can order author copies yourself so you have a bunch to take the book signings and shows and stuff and, right, um, we, it's actually pretty easy right, but you don't get the exposure that you have with a publishing company right right but you can die from exposure so be careful so <laughs> mark we need to then talk off air because i have some questions but that the, the okay. audience the audience won't care how the sausage is made um now i yeah. interviewed i've interviewed a lot of authors 
Uh, probably the only fly author I've ever talked to was John Gearock. So you're my second fly author. So that's well, he's <laughs> the reason I started writing, so here we go. Yeah, and, and to be honest, reading his books and reading your books, I don't see a giant leap between uh, the two of you, both great writers, both interesting, and both storytellers. And what I liked about your book was, first of all, you don't have to start, there's no arc. You don't need to start at the beginning. It's just, it's a series right. of essays. It's, it's a bunch of stories that, and you can pick it up wherever you want to, um, which, I, which I enjoy. It makes it great. It, that's why this book belongs in the back of every toilet in America. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. It's a great one to have. You're not the first person to say that, so that's great. Right. So that's, I'm not alone in that. But I do want to talk about the chapter, Not All Trout Are Geniuses, which, by the way, I'm a big uh, proponent of, uh, I, my, I've always said trout are overrated. I think that trout are fun, interesting, pretty. Uh, Mark, brook trout are one of your favorite fishes, right? Yes. How many states do you think have brook trout as their state fish? Oh my gosh, you know, yeah, that's that's a horrible question because well, there's a handful of them, isn't there? There's I think there's either six or nine. I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but there's a there's yeah. so many New Hampshire, by the way, we have that as our fish. New Jersey yep. has it as a fish. I don't know what New York State fish is. I think it's a brown trout. New York State fish is the brook trout. The brook trout, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there so, is. So they're, they're everywhere. I mean, I'm, and by the way, if I was making a case for a state fish for New Hampshire, I would pick the fall fish, one of my favorite fishes. Uh, Same here. You would pick that. They're, they're a wonderful I fish. They're, they, yes. they fight like hell. They're native. They're cool. They're big. I've written about fall fish in my other two books. Yeah, yeah. definitely. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, you have one called the Carper Jerks or something like that? Or? Carper Jerks was the second one. Yep. Yeah, the second one. All right, yep. so but I do, I do want to get into the uh, not all trout are geniuses. Your your book, your current book, your most recent one. This is going to be your New York Times bestseller, I think. <laughs> this is going to be the one that allows you to to make fishing your living. Um, but I I think in this book you open this this chapter, not all trout are geniuses, and you talk a lot about um, I try, you talk a lot about like the the contradiction of fishing, the idea that. Yes that we can be conservationists yet we're going to drive a piece of metal through the face of an animal like that that's your tone for this chapter you want to yeah. go on about that a little bit oh boy does that boy does this chapter depending on where somebody picks up what page they open to if they start skimming it and don't read from the beginning this chapter has the ability to make some people laugh mm -hmm. make some people scratch their heads about the trout themselves and it also has the ability to make some people go insane they feel attacked immediately which i don't really i i guess i do understand it in today's age of social media but i don't really understand it because if you read the whole thing i'm saying listen i'm with everybody else i feel i i see the hypocrisy in what i'm doing i'm trying to i'm trying to be gentle to this fish right um that I just stabbed in the face. Well, and it's funny because <laughs> and, and I go farther with it, but it's you, true. You do go far. You should go further because Mark, fishing is an act of violence. No matter how it we is. do it, it is an act of yep. violence. We are. I don't care how friendly you are about it. You're driving a piece of metal through the animal through an animal's face. You're taking it out of the water. You're posing with it, and then you go. I'm going to let you go nicely. That is the reality of it. That's the reality of it, and people get very defensive now. Fly fishers. Uh, depending on your 
you're, <laughs> the kind of fly fishers you hang out with, <laughs> there are many fly fishers who think they're above uh, the rest of us. <laughs> it, and this, it this can has hit a them. stigma to it. Yeah. It has a stigma to it. And I, and I do not identify with that group. Um, I, I came from spin fishing and worm bobbers and I will never forget it. And I still look at it all the same. I'm just doing it a different way with some feathers instead of worms, mm -hmm. but it, it does have a stigma to it of this elitist thing. And you know what? Those are the people who get the most offended who actually do have that elitist attitude to them. Well, you, um, you know, they, they don't want to hear that they're actually stabbing a fish in the face, you know, they get, oh, they, they get, well, they're doing it with their barbless hook marks. So that they're better than you. Yeah. So Mark, can we talk about chickens? <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, yeah. Cause, Cause I raised chickens, but not for feathers. Now I'm curious. Okay. In this book, you go through a lot of the kind of, the, that kind of, you follow the chickens, a chicken through the process of becoming a, yes. a fly. You want to take us through that? Well, so. There's, there's a very small industry built around fly fishing because of fly fishing of one really big farm. Um, and then there's some smaller ones, but there's one really big farm. And that is what they do is they have genetically bred these chickens for specific feather qualities, for dry flies, and big, huge slopping for streamers. And they are considered the best feathers in the world and you'll see these capes and packages of fly shops and on the internet and it's nothing to pay $60 for one and it's it's not unheard of to pay $100 or more for some of these capes um, from this farm. I buy them. If, if I can afford them, I buy them. I'll wheel and deal to get a hold of them too. They are awesome feathers but the fact is that these birds say 60,000 of them on the farm at a time are bred and raised just for the feathers and they don't get like sold for food they get ground up for fertilizer after the fact so there's there's this there's this thing in fly fishing and this is what just ticks so many people off and i kind of like it a little bit you got to make people think and understand where they're really standing What's they edgy? think they're standing in one place or standing someplace else it's edgy these this is like a this is at the time that I wrote it, I looked, it was like a $5 million a year, you know, industry. Very small niche, but it still exists. Um, and the birds are bred for the feathers. When it's time, the, the birds are killed. You know, they're, they're uh, skinned for their capes. And the birds would just get ground up for fertilizer because they cannot be sold for food. Well, well um, quality, they're, they're bred for feathers, not meat yeah, and, and not yeah. eggs. So, yeah. It, and so then... You have people, and here's the hypocrisy, and I take place in this. So everybody listening that's, that's ready to jump down my throat, whatever, I do the same thing. I just recognize it, and I admit it. Right. Um, I Maybe I go fishing for trout that were raised in a hatchery. They are not wild. They are not some crazy you know, native strain to anywhere. Um, they're a, a hatchery strain. They were raised in concrete tanks dumped out of a truck over a bridge and here I am you have to be gentle to this fish it's all about how you treat the fish I'm not going to eat it so I'm going to be I'm going to take my time I'm not going to fight it for too long I'm going to bring it in I'm going to use barbless hooks so I don't hurt the fish um this fish was bred just so that people could catch it when it's dumped off the bridge 
and I'm being so careful with it, but I don't even think twice about the feathers that are on that fly, where they came from, a bird that was bred just to die for those feathers so that I could catch this fish that was bred so I could catch it and let it go because I'm such a kind and thoughtful conservationist. Right. And then 10 minutes later, some guy um, with a bobber comes and eats that it. fish. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's to me, it's good to recognize the stuff and just admit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it made for some good writing in the book. And it's, it, it's really, it's a rabbit hole you can go down and well, probably never come back up. Well, Mark, that speaks to me because from the very beginning of the Fish Nerds podcast, I've always admitted that fishing is an act of violence. I, I've, I've said it a thousand times in this show, and uh, I'll debate anybody with it. I mean, if you truly think that you're better than me, you're not fishing. Because uh, right. I am not a good person because I like to... I like to drive metal through fish's face and take pictures. That's that's how I roll, because it's yep. violence, and that's okay. Uh, and so we all have the hypocrisy kind of living within us. But then I try to be conser- you know, conservative and uh, conservationist in some other ways. Can we talk sure. about you? You talked in that chapter about stocking, uh, uh, stocked fish over wild fish. In that, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it's that's. It's, it's a big debate. It's a big debate in the fishing industry right it's now. A, so it's it's huge. a huge debate, and you know somebody says something that people feel is an important person, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they just said that." You know, the, it's 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 time to rumble. Um, but I mean, I I kind of look at it all. I'm going to fish for stock fish if they're there. That's what I'm going to fish for. But I put a really large value on wild fish, and especially wild native fish. Um, do you have in New York, do you have native brook trout still? Because in New Hampshire, yes. we've our fishing game department has stopped using the, na- the word native uh, because they've been stocking for so many years. It's impossible to differentiate native from, from uh, stocked fish that have become wild. So they just say wild now. Yes, we do still have native trout. Um, as a matter of fact, I can hook you up with the people in the organization, because I am no longer part of it, but I helped found in 2016 an organization called Trout Power. And what we did was we went into the Adirondacks and DNA sampled brook trout that had not been in a watershed and reappeared um, and found them to be a native, um, a heritage strain that the state didn't know about. And that organization still exists today. And they're continually going out and looking for more brook trout that the state doesn't recognize they're in that water, or maybe they know they're there, but they have no clue what they are, and they DNA sample them to find out, you know, are they a stocked strain that's mixed with an old heritage strain? Are they a strain that they just didn't have a record of? You know, where do they, what are they? Um, I hold a big value on wild fish. I, I'll catch stocked fish like anybody else, but I, I'm of the mindset, I feel that here we go again. I can see it from both sides. If there are wild fish that belong in that water, that were always there, um, that it's really not fair for humans to think that they can just, you know what? We want some pretty big brown trout in there because they're more fun to catch. Just to dump them in on top of that. That's that's how all these messes get created because humans just think, oh, you know, we want to do it because it'll be fun for us or we feel it's a better decision than what mother nature has come up with well and then you, um, you get into it mark if you go if you go deep in it you look at all the fish like in new york for example and you look at you're, you're up you're upstate you're like um, you're like five hours from manhattan right 
Yeah. So you're about you're, you're you're as close to Manhattan as I am, and and so the fish here where I live are about the same as what you've got there, um, and virtually nothing none of the game fish are native fishes. You know, you got your brook trout, but all of all of your basses, all of your sunfishes, they're all they're all invasive, but we they're don't talk invasive. about it in that way. No, I, I've gotten in discussions that'll blow people's minds when they talk about brown trout, and mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, those are from Europe, German. They're they are not yeah. native. They'll be like, oh, I caught a beautiful native brown, and I'm like, most of the time I'll let it go, but if they really want to get into a conversation, I'm like, there's a difference between wild and native. Native means it belongs here. It was here. Um, and those browns, they all came from Germany. They came from Europe. They right. do not belong here. And the rainbows on our side of the country, California, they're from out west. Yeah. They're, they are, they don't belong here either. We, we do all kinds of crazy stuff. So I'm really, I'm really a proponent of, so here's where I see both sides. I don't like stocking over wild fish at all. I just don't think it should be done. We should just leave everything alone. Well, if you got you wild fish, if you, if you got wild fish, they're reproducing and you're, you're okay. Yeah, you don't need to stock on it. They're okay. But I also understand that there are so many people fishing that if they didn't stock in the easy places to fish, if they didn't dump all those fish at the bridges or in the lakes that everybody goes to, that the wild fish populations would probably be down at even, they would probably disappear from the places that people could reach. There's always going to be places that are really hard to get to. I will, I've got spots that I hike, you know, a couple of hours to get to these little streams, six to eight, nine feet wide to catch brook trout. Right. And they're like eight inches, like, like seven inches long, right? Tiny little brook uh, trout. Uh, an 11 inch yeah. brook trout is a trophy. Right. You know, it's a wall mount <laughs> yep. in those places. But so those fish, I think, will survive other than, you know, weather conditions. Um, without us because there's not enough people that are going to go out there looking for them. But if they didn't stock, so here's where I see the other side. If they didn't stock in the easy to get two places, all the wild fish that were there, they would be gone because everything would just get fished out. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. Well, it is. And since the pandemic back in 2020, if you remember, oh, do you remember the, do you remember the pandemic? Oh yeah, yeah kind of. So yeah. uh, like I, nationally fishing license sales have gone up like 30%. New Hampshire, yes. we're up 40%. New York, I think you guys are way up as well. So you have all these kind of like uh, flatlanders coming up fishing your way who haven't done it before. Yep. And let's let them have the stock to fish. Now, do you have like in New York, like we have a native fish coalition here in New Hampshire, which works to prevent stocking uh, fish on top of wild and native fish. But yep. kind of, this is not in your book, but this might, might you just kind of remind me this. And I like them. I think they're a good, good organization. But I don't feel like they care about native fishes. I feel like they care about brook trout. And that's it. Um, I think they're very narrow I think, in their scope. So that is, I don't know that Native Fish Coalition has a chapter in New York yet. They might. I, I When I started, when I was one of the founding members of Trout Power, I thought it was going to be awesome. And then I realized all the politics and opinions involved. And that's what finally led me to step back and say, you know what, I just want to fish. And if you want volunteers to fish and look for DNA, I'll do it. Um, so I, I see stuff um, with these other organizations like the Native Fish Coalition here and there on social media, but I don't go looking for it. Um, there's enough people. They're, they're fine without me. Right. They don't uh, need if me. If they <laughs> really need me for a fight, then they can ask. But let's, let's be honest. There's, I'll probably tick them off too and say they don't need me. I'm just going to fish. 
They're doing a fine job without me. It's it's too much politics for me. That's kind of where um, I'm at because because they're not I like they're, they're not promoting they're not promoting the native fishes. They're not. I don't hear them talking fish. about pickerel. I don't hear them talking right. about yellow perch. I don't hear them talking about fall fish. I hear them talking about brook trout, and that's it. So yes. No. You you may talk you may talk to their president, and he may he may disagree and say no no we're for all. But there but the focus really is brook trout. It really it is, is native trout. I mean, and and I'm sure they're not going to argue with that. It's, no. It's, no. It's a trout thing. It is a trout thing because they love the trout. <laughs> yeah. All right. So anyway, that, I thought I, anyway that's that, that chapter spoke to me, and you can see why this is that conversation we're having right yes. now. And the nice thing about your book is it's a it's a conversation. Your whole book is just you telling your fishing stories, which is what I like. But I do want to talk ice fishing because in your ice fishing chapter, you hit on I think the most important aspect of ice fishing. I'm going to get there with you in a minute. I'm not going to give it away because you're probably okay. going to say what it is, but to, let's talk about your ice fishing trip in your book because yeah. you're not an ice fisher. You're a, you're a fly fisher. I am not an ice fisherman. I do fish all winter long, but mm-hmm. I'm still one of those idiots standing in a river with neoprene waders in oh, the thank you. February. That sounds so freaking terrible. Like I've tried that and I get cold. I'm like, I ice fish. I'm warm. I don't know what right. you're doing down there because liquid water, people don't realize this. That liquid water is far colder than ice when you're yeah. in it. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get to a point usually um, during the winter standing in those rivers where I realize I should have layered one more layer in those waders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe my legs are starting to sting. Yeah. Your lips are cold. blue. You can't, yeah. you can't tie a knot anymore. No. <laughs> but I'll tell myself my legs are stinging and that kind of feels like burning. And burning means I'm warm, oh, so, so it's yeah. all a head game. Right. Yeah. You get out, have a shot of whiskey, you're good to go. But So you went ice fishing with your friends, and uh, you described going out, snowshoeing out, which is hard. Pulling, are you guys pulling jet sleds, those big black deep sleds? We, yes. Yep, we had two of those. Yeah, worst design sled on the planet. Because it's like pulling a snow plow. I'm like, hell Yeah. <laughs> have you seen this spinny sled, Mark? No. So a smith sled is a sled you build for your for your jet sled, and it basically okay. is a riser to put your jet sled in that has two skis on it, so you can drag it. So you build a sled for a sled. You build a sled for a sled because the original sled is horrible. Right. So I went on one of these Facebook forums, and I said, am I the only one who thinks a jet sled is the worst design ever because I had to build a sled to pull my sled? And people, you know how fishermen are, they're so yes. brand, they love their brands. They were attacked. I, I got attacked. They were so <laughs> offended that I said yes. that, this, that the jet sled's a dumb design. They said, well, why are you using it then? I'm like, because I, I didn't know. You know, and I had to build a sled for my sled. And they're like, ah, you're an idiot. I'm like, it's not me. You can't pull those things in deep snow. But anyway, you did it. You pulled them in deep snow with snowshoes on. I yep. never wear snowshoes anymore. And you went out fishing. And then the first thing that happened, well, tell us what happened with the auger. Oh, well, so so our buddy Wayne says, hey, you want to go fishing? So this was his story from the time before he went. He's, and he says, you want to go ice fishing? And me and my buddy JP are kind of like, well, we don't really ice fish, but you know what? Yeah, I, I'll go because I just want to get out in the middle of winter and do something different, and I'll probably write about it. And, and uh, JP says, yeah, I'll go too, but I don't really care about the fishing part. He says, I'm going to be the cook. I'll bring a grill and stuff, and I'm going to cook. I'll figure out something. So we agreed. And he says, good, because 
I went to this lake last year with my wife and totally got skunked. And it was the worst ice fishing trip I've ever had. And we're like, what? what? Then why do you want to go? Why did we just agree? What did we just agree to? So he tells a story and he says, listen, he went out there. He didn't really know where he was on the lake. He thought he was in a different spot where it should have been deeper. In the very first hole, he sets his auger down, fires the auger up, goes straight through the ice, and embeds it straight into the lake bottom and immediately dulls it to the point where it will not, it wouldn't, he said it wouldn't cut through a snow cone. Yeah, so when that happened, Mark, I, I, I've done that so many times because if you're trout fishing in a lake, you're fishing shallow. Yeah. And, and, and you have to guess it, and they lower the lake level, so it's not what you think it is, and smack <laughs> it into the bottom. As soon as that happened, I went, oh, yep, been there. And then my favorite, what does he guy do? <laughs> what does he do? So he said he grabbed his ladle, mm-hmm. and he started chipping a hole with the ladle handle, and his wife was like, are you kidding me? Are you really going to do that? And he looked at her and he said, we came out here. We haven't even dropped a single line in the lake yet. You know what it took to get out here. Do you really want to just pick up and leave? We're not. I'm fishing. And he chiseled two or three other holes in that lake with his ladle handle. And, no, and Mark, then I've still done that. struck out. I've done that, Mark. I, I know, I'm sure. I know exactly that feeling. So well, here's the thing, Mark. So I did that once. My first time I drilled into the mud, I only had two inches of water between the ice and the mud. So I punched oh. through and I wrecked my auger. And yep. so I, 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 don't, I don't usually fish with tip-ups, but I grabbed a tip-up and I borrowed a, a minnow from somebody else, and I put it in that spot. And guess what happened? Did you catch a fish in I, two inches of water? I caught a pickerel. It was a Come foot on. of ice, two inches of water, and mud under it, and I caught a pickerel there. So the they, pickerel was doing like a belly crawl through to get to your bait. What they do is they, they actually crowd minnows into the really shallow water and then they just gorge themselves. And so I was like, whatever. I, it's the only home I'm going to make today. I'm fishing it. <laughs> so oh. you don't always get skunked. But, man, I knew that feeling so well. And, and that's what I liked about your book is it just speaks to, like, real-life fishing. It's, it's the reality of where we're at. Yeah, maybe someday I'll be, I'll be uh, writing about catching, you know, uh, world record sailfish or something like that. But up to this point, no, this is, this is real stuff. This is, you get skunked or you catch a four inch fall fish, you know, uh, in, in two days. This is real life. It is real life. It is real life. But, the, but we still haven't got to the most important part of ice fishing. Okay. So keep going with your story on ice fishing. We'll, we'll get there. Okay. Um, well, so they dull the auger. You guys managed, to, did you go back out a, diff- a second day? Is that what happened? No, so that was that was the year before he had gone with his wife. Okay, so, you, so when he invited us, he was going back for revenge and wanted basically was looking for two buddies to go with him. The lake so owed he him. Could, he I was, got it. The lake owed him, yeah. and he he just figured, hey, I'm not going to go out alone. Uh, his wife obviously wasn't going back again because <laughs> she's smart. <laughs> yeah, she was like, I've seen this before. Yeah. No, I saw this episode. I know how this ends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we went, we dragged all our stuff out there, um, and Wayne immediately started drilling holes, you know, um, setting up tip ups and tip downs and all this stuff. Um, and I was just, you know, I was just kind of looking around the fishing was not a big draw for me. It was just being out there for one, doing something different, being in a place I hadn't been, um, with a couple of buddies and watching him do his thing. I jigged up a couple of perch from the shanty. Which is um, fun. 
which was which was fun. I'm I'm all about movement, which is one reason I've never been in ice fishing. Um, I like to wade up and down a river, and if I'm on a lake, I don't like canoes because they're slow. So I'd rather have something that moves around a little faster. I want to move around and see what's around the next bend. So Mark, that's why ice fishing is never, you know, that's because you're right. fishing with old school ice fishers. Like okay. modern ice fishing, it's all about movement. We don't use tip ups. We we mm. don't set up shanties very long. We are drilling hundreds of holes a day and moving around constantly because we've got sonars and we're looking under the ice and seeing the fish. So it is a it's a very different like fishing with the way I ice fish and the way your friend ice fishes are very very different. Yes, but we, sounds like it. We still haven't got the most important thing. What was the most? All right, where it's are we the, going? It's the food, Mark. It's. I was kind of hoping. You right, so you got to eat food on ice, and in this chapter, yes. you said something about the quality of food that you eat when you're ice fishing. Yes. So, JP brought out a little grill and started a grill up and had it going good, and he made burritos out on the ice. Um, something that you know you could get anywhere, but out on the ice. So not only did we go someplace, JP and I, that we had never been to go ice fishing, something we don't do, but we went, we hiked however far it was out onto this frozen lake with the snow coming down with mountains all around us to eat burritos on the ice. And the night before that, and then that night, the night before that, we ate at a really nice restaurant up in Bloomington, um, up by Lake Placid called the Hungry Trout. It's a very nice Good name, by the way. <laughs> yes, it is. And it was, it was, you know, I was in jeans and a t-shirt, but it's not a jeans and t-shirt type of place. The food was spectacular. And then we had the burritos on the ice that day. And then that night we ate at McDougal's Pub, which is next to the Hungry Trout. It's part of it, really. And it's more of a, you know, it's a, it's a pub in a basement deal. And the food was good there, but the burritos could have been, the burritos were awesome, but they could have been half as good as what they were. They could have been kind of nasty, but what we went through to get those burritos, to make them and eat them out there, made it just as good, just as valuable as any of those meals that we had in those restaurants. Oh, and, and that's and one of the things I learned as a fishing guide, I do ice fishing charters, so I do, I bring... I bring flatlanders out onto the ice to, 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 mm -hmm. to experience ice fishing. And what I learned right away, if I bring a grill on the ice with a skillet and some sausage, and I, I raise my own chicken so I have fresh eggs and a bunch of peppers and onions and burrito wraps and cheese, everyone has a 100% better morning on the ice. Sure. And they talk about how good the food was. Where if, and I know for sure if I cooked that in my kitchen, they would hate it. But somehow, <laughs> shivering on the ice, fighting the elements, especially if it's windy and cold out, somehow their body says, hell yeah, and they love the food. And I think that kind of captures your, your, your story there, kind of captured that. Even if you're happy out there, whether you're happy or you're having a bad day, a rough day, it's tough out there. Either way, even being happy, that food is still a morale booster. I always. That's what it is. Always. Yeah. Now, my first year guiding, Mark, I tried doing catch and cook fishing trips, mm -hmm. but that requires people to catch fish. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, I see where this is going. Yeah. So there were many times where I'm like, well, I got a burrito shell. Yeah. How <laughs> do you tell it. clients, well, you'd eat if you'd catch something. If you didn't suck at fishing. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so anyway, your book is called Not All Trader Geniuses. Where can people purchase this thing? So you can get it with the other two. They're all available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, but you can also get it. You can buy signed copies at jprossflyrods.com. J.P. Ross. And I'll put links in the um, show notes. J.P. Ross at flyrods.com. Yeah, my, my copy, you signed it for me. Yes, I sent that straight to you. It says you weren't born to just pay bills and die. You're assuming I pay my bills, which I like that. So that's that's <laughs> awfully nice. You want to stick around for a minute and do some fish in the news with me? Yeah, right, yeah, so, yeah, sure. All right, let's get into this then. We're going to jump right in. You ready? Yeah. Oh, wrong button. News, news, fish in the news. Everybody loves their fish in the all right, that is your fish in the news scene theme song, but I'm I'm here to talk about um, fish news. Mark is still with me. Mark Usick is still with me. And Mark, do you listen to fishing podcasts? I I do sometimes, for whatever reason. If one grabs my attention in the you know who it is or the title, I'll mm -hmm. listen to them a little bit. I, I'm still very. I'm only 46, but I feel like I'm 80 because I'm still very anti. Uh, technology yeah. you know anything that's streaming around the internet i still listen to the radio station local radio station in my car well as a dj i appreciate that i do i work on local radio so i <laughs> i do get that um now i listen to only two other podcasts besides the fish nerds i listen to the lower love podcast and fish of the week which is put out by the i think the u.s forest service i forget but it, anyway it's all about it's nerdy about fish um but one of the biggest fishing podcasts um around just shut down last week or two weeks ago and it was do you know have you heard of meat eater oh yeah yeah okay, so they had a podcast out called bent and right. i it, it was a really well done podcast i didn't listen to it because it was very much it, it, it was very similar to the podcast I produced. It had Fish in the News, and it had different interviews, different segments, and it was like magazine, which I liked. But I don't listen to those podcasts because I don't want to steal ideas, and I'm a parrot. Yeah. I have a habit of repeating ideas that I don't know where they came from, but it turns out I'm a stealer of ideas. Um, so I'll probably, I'll probably just rewrite your whole book you know, and resell it. Um, <laughs> but anyway, they just shut down, which is a big deal, because Meat Eater is a huge brand. And uh, so it, it, this is why it's news, is it shut down because the host had to go on to a different job, which I found interesting because Mediator being a big brand, you would think that the podcast would have just, let's get a new host. Let's keep it going. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. two years old, uh, arguably the most listened to fishing podcast around, and it shut down. It's gone. Oh. Yeah. So, um, you know, another one bites the dust. I've been doing this 10 years they, they lasted two, so I can just say, bye-bye, boys. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, but it was a good podcast, and I liked, I liked what they were about. I liked them, and it kind of bummed me out to see it fail. But you know what that means, Mark? What does that mean? It means people aren't listening to fishing podcasts, because if, if Meat Eater couldn't put out a fishing podcast that was big enough to make a lot of money out of, which is what I think it shut down because of, uh, then mm -hmm. it just money making is not a podcast game for fishing people. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. I mean, this podcast we get about between two and three thousand people per episode. About ten thousand a month listen to the podcast, which is high for podcast. And the median podcast mark gets one hundred and ten downloads a month. So we're in the top like 
fifteen percent of podcasters. So we're we're getting it done. But anyway, we're sad to see see Meat Eater lose their uh, their only fishing podcast bent. If they need a new guy, they can they can pay the fish nerds. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Good job. But I do. Uh, more importantly, there's a bigger story. The news, the New York Post, and this was just this week. This is actually May the third. So today's May. The, yesterday, this happened. New York Post, big time news. The headline is: Testicle fish has social media convinced it's a sex toy. Have you heard the story? You know, at the beginning, I thought you were going to say this was a, a horrible typo, but it doesn't sound like it. No, no it's, I haven't. It's for real. So this fish is shaped like a pair of testicles. And it's been shared along um, online on social media for um, for a couple of weeks now. But Roman Fedestorv, he's a fisherman from Russia, loves to share weird fishes. Uh, and he's released other images, some that look like vaginas, but this one looks like a slimy texture, lewd pair of testicles. And uh, by the way, 363,000 people like lewd testicles, in case you're curious what the data is like. No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm a big fan of messy, gross testicles. I mean, who isn't? Uh, <laughs> what is? Where's society gone? I know what's happened to our world, and and I'll put a, a link up on our show notes. You can see a picture of this of these testicles. Um, but the post that was captioned, translated from Russian, said, "And such unusual." I should do this with a Russian accent. And such unusual representatives of the underwear world, we are cotton trawler. <laughs> That's my best Russian accent. Thank you. Um, these are truly disgusting looking. The, the fish really does look like a ball sack. Well, the question is, how old are these fish? How long have they been around? They've been around. Gonna, yeah, they're pretty. Have they been around longer than human beings? Of course they have. Yeah. So then, really, testicles oh. look like fish. I think you just nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I I see a pair of testicles, I'm like, nice fish. You know, I don't I don't see them often, but if I do, I'll make sure. By the way, the internet um, Instagram users found the humor right away. Uh, someone called it the uh, forbidden flashlight. Oh, so, yeah, of course, of course. Another one said, "Chill, my girlfriend is looking over my shoulder." Someone else uh, quipped with one person adding, "Dear reader, you don't need to call them." And, and it's just, it is gross. It's gross. It looks like raw chicken breast <laughs> in some ways. Yeah. You know, now I'm going to go look this up. Yeah. God, I hope it leads me to the right thing. If you're Googling it, Google the phrase pulsating penis fish and you won't be disappointed. So that's, this is real fish in the news, Mark. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and finally, I want to talk about um, Mexican blind cave fish. And this is less of a joke than that one is. This is actually cool. interesting culture for fish. Have you heard of a Jonathan Balcom? No. No, he's a, he's a fish writer, but he, he writes. Okay. Jonathan Balcom is, a, and he didn't write this story, nothing with this, but John, I had him on the podcast once. He wrote a book called um, What Fish Know. And he is a, he, he's a scientist who claims that fish have feelings, emotions, and culture just like people do. Yeah, I've seen this book before. Okay. okay. Yeah, and it's yep. and he's and he's a very interesting, smart guy. If you ever get a to talk to him, you should totally talk to him. He's he's worth your time. Uh, but he'd love this story because these blind Mexican cave fish have developed cave specific accents. So there's there's these fish that live in these caves in Mexico, and it's so dark in there. 
they've evolved to not have eyes at all. So these are just fish swimming around blind. Okay. Which is interesting in its own right. Sure is. And they communicate with each other using clicks and, and beeps and whistles and stuff like that. And what they figured out is that if you go from cave to cave, you're going to find out that these fish, even though they're exactly the same species and everything else about them is exactly the same, they each have their own dialect, which I think is interesting. That's very interesting. My mind is immediately going to like, uh, you know, Southern accent and uh, California surfer accent, you know, depending on which cave you go to. Holy cow. That's exactly how I read this. I read this as, you know, of course they developed their own accents because they're, <laughs> they're not mixing it up. If you go to play, like, like you've got in New York, like, for example, you have an upstate New York accent, Mark. I could pick it out yeah. right away. Now, I didn't grow up in New Hampshire, so I don't have that like Massachusetts, Boston kind of like, it's a wicked cool car you got there. I don't, I don't speak like that. I, I grew up and I moved around the country my whole life. So my, my accent's kind of more like a f- mixed up accent. Yes. But these guys, I mean, these cave dwellers, they never see other fish because they're blind. Because they're blind. <laughs> also because they're separated, you know, <laughs> by caves. Okay. So You know, I feel like I need to go fish for these blind fish, though, because it would at least give me an excuse for why I didn't catch anything. Because Well, they couldn't see my fly. They couldn't obviously. see it. Yeah, so that's the question. If you were fishing, so that's what I, mean, that's, I, thought, I thought that was interesting. I'm not going to go deep into it. Now, the question for yeah. you, Mark, if you were fishing for a, a fish that couldn't see, what fly do you choose? It's it's going to have to be something with some rattles built into it, I guess, yeah. right? Or dipped in some hot wing sauce or something. Yeah, it'd have to have smell or make noise or yeah. just move a lot of water. Move a lot of water. You know, move a lot I'm of sure water. sure they're very sensitive to all of that. Yeah, that's how they survive. But they're also small, which also helps them a lot because they're going to be scraping algae off rocks. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Mark, what's the Very most cool. uh, most terrifying fish you've ever seen? Most terrifying fish I've ever yeah, seen. What do you think the scariest fish is for you? You know, oh, well, okay. Alligator gar in Texas. They are frightening. They, they're, they're, they're not a man-eater like people think they are, but um, I accidentally fell on one. I slid down a dam when I was in my 20s. I was in the Air Force in Texas, and I was kind of stalking them as they were sunning on the surface and I stepped in a wet spot on the dam and slid right down onto that sucker. And Well, I'm only five, six and I'm telling you that alligator guard was every bit of six feet long. And when I hit it, I thought I was dead. It was horror movie time. I was flailing. That fish was probably two miles away from me when I hit it, but everybody was laughing because I thought I was about to get eaten. It was horrifying. Yeah. They're scary. I went fishing in new Orleans for redfish and there were gar everywhere. And the captain took me out. It was a new Orleans style of fishing charters. Charters. He would not let me catch a garfish. He would not put one on his boat. Really? Yep. He has strict rules. He said they stink. They mess the boat up. I don't want them on my boat. So it was out. Now, for right. me, the scariest fish is called a cutlet minnow. Have you heard of these? No. And they are out your way in western Massachusetts, which is not far okay. from where you are. They live in the no. r- rivers out there, and they've got their bottom lip has uh, it's it's split like two fingers. So their their top lip with their bottom lip acts like three fingers, like a grabber. And do you know what that's evolved to eat? It's a minnow. It's about three inches long. You know what's evolved to eat? 
it no. plucks out eyeballs. Come on. Nope, I'm not kidding. It's evolved to pluck out fish eyes. Pucks them right out. Scary right, as that hell. That officially just took the place of the alligator gar. Yeah, if it wasn't for its size, that fish would scare the crap out of anybody. <laughs> so, when I heard about that thing, I lost my mind. Like, you kidding me? That's crazy. So, That's crazy. All right, Mark. So your book is called Not All Trout Are Geniuses. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Hope you had a good time. Thanks for having me. Yeah, if definitely. If you ever find yourself up in New Hampshire, and we're only about five hours from you, uh, and you want to go do some real ice fishing, I'll take you out. If you want to go out in the summertime on a big pontoon boat and tenkara fish for trophy-sized yellow perch, I'll take you out. We'll write about it. We'll have a good time. So you open invite, okay, Mark? Sounds good. Deal. St- stay with me while I wrap this show up. <laughs> so that's it. You've listened to a couple of fish stories when you should have been fishing. Big thank you to Mark Usick, author of the hit book, number one best-selling book soon, Not All Trout Are Geniuses. Available on Amazon. Links in the Fish Nerd show notes today. Uh, Big thanks to Wally Pleasant for our theme music, Diane's Bath Salts for our news theme. And uh, until next time, follow the code of the Fish Nerds, spawn early and often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached, and swim against the current every chance you get. Mark, thank you. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, Fish Nerds. Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast, just for the halibut, fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan, eat it raw like you're in Siam, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, Fish Nerds, it's a podcast. We did it, we made a podcast.